Hello and welcome to yet another TV Central podcast. I'm Aaron Ryan. When Channel 10 released its slate of programming for 2011, there was a little show called Can of Worms. Reading the description about it being an open and frank discussion about topics that affect Australians, with a little humour and political political correctness given the royal flick, I was massively intrigued. I thought to myself, Australia really needs a show like this. Dicko's vision for the show was exceptional and right on the mark, and it finally made it to air just two weeks ago. Look, I'll be honest, the the execution in episode one was a little average, and I was worried for the show going forward. To be what the foundational vision originally was, some major tweaks were needed. Tweaks were administered and changes were made, and then episode episode two came along and gave Australia possibly one of the greatest informal discussions on a few issues, including the burqa and swearing. And there it was, the rebirth of a new great Australian show that I hope is here to stay. Joining me on the podcast today is the host, Ian Dicko Dixon, to discuss the show, the tweaks and the future of Can of Worms. Dicko, thanks for joining me, and I hope that intro wasn't too harsh. I think that was pretty fair, actually. Well, first up, let's have a look at the uh, the ratings for the for the first and second show. Week one, nine hundred and twenty-four thousand on overnights, increasing to nine seventy-eight on consolidated figures. Week two, nine hundred and eighty thousand, which will rise to above a million on consolidated figures once once they're released next week. It was six for the night, twenty-five to fifty-four, fifth eighteen to forty-nine, and fourth sixteen to thirty-nine. So a good start and an increase in the second episode. Must be happy with those results. Oh, we were all happy. I think um, I think a lot of us were expecting a bit of a heat in the ratings in week two, because that seems to be the norm. Everyone tunes in. You, you've got the benefits of a big, you know, multi, you know, big, big spend and uh, multimedia marketing campaign, and everyone samples it first week and then thinks, oh, no, we're over that now. We'll move on. But I think we um, we must have captured some people's imagination because we increased. Um, increased our audience, and I think uh, that surprised everyone, not least the network. But look, we, we knew we had a, a good show. We also knew that we, we didn't really do justice in week one. I was incredibly nervous, a bit of a rabbit in the headlights, and uh, trying to get my head around things I've not really had to do much before, like auto queue and, and just being the big grown-up, the traffic cop on the show. But normally I'm there as a bomb thrower, but of course I had to be the grown-up this time around. So, look, we're still working this out. I think the way I look at it, it's, it's, it's like when you get a, a, a new car, you, you, you've got to learn to drive it, you've got to find out what it can do and what it can't do and, and how it feels, and we're still in that process. I think it's going to be two or three more episodes before we, we're purring down the freeway uh, on cruise control. Well, let's have a look at, at week one versus week two in terms of execution of the show. I, I believe there were massive differences between the two, and, and we can explore that. But when I say that, I think most people would also agree that week two was significantly better than week one. Uh, so first up, broadly, I mean, so that, that is a fair statement. I mean, you mentioned that um, just a moment ago, but that, that is a fair statement that you think episode two was much better than episode one. Oh, absolutely. Um, it was a hundred times better, I thought. It was well, certainly a hundred percent better. The, the first show, remember, we've, you know, we've, it's an odd concept because you get like a year to work out the first show and seven days to work out the second show. And, we, and, and bizarrely, the second show breathed a lot more, you know, it was a, it was a lot looser. We involved the audience and we had live tweets running for the first time. So I think it, even though it's not a live show, it 
definitely felt more alive. There was a little more breath in it, and uh, and it was yeah, it was just a lot looser and more relaxed. Plus, we had the benefit of two awesome conversations and three very vocal, um, very different guests. But yeah, look, I, I, I watched it on Monday night with my wife, and and I found it a really engaging piece of television. And normally, I'm so self-conscious I can't get beyond my own shabby performance, but I forgot I was on the show and was really taken up by the conversation mm-hmm. on Monday, so I think a lot of other viewers were too. Well, let's look at some of those areas where the show changed. So I think this is important for the audience as we move forward with the show. First up, the whole flow of the show seemed to shift between the two episodes. Episode one seemed segmented, a topic, a chat, insert a punchline, play a game, ad break. Episode two seemed to flow better with a more open and honest flowing discussion, more in the vein, I suppose, of Channel 10's old series, The Panel. Were the the gimmicks and segmented approach to episode one something that was fed back to you um, and you had on your mind for episode two? No, look, I think it was everyone's best efforts were were put into episode one, Um, but there were certain things that we thought would work terrifically well, like the wrongometer, to just to set out the universe at the top of segment one. And yeah. and I guess that's something that's a tried and tested way in a show such as this, where you, you just establish, you know, what it is you're talking about and get the get the viewers used to to the subject matter and, and make them aware of, of what's gonna be after them through some signposting. Um I guess following the first episode we thought, well, it acted as something of a speed bump. We didn't need it. I think all of our marketing had, had, had sold the public on the fact that we were going to be having some you know, in-depth and some edgy conversations. And so we thought, well, we might as well just get straight into it. There's no point just messing around for the sake of it. Let's just get into it. And, and what that effectively did, it opened up more valuable TV real estate for us to go and talk to the audience, which was really you know, kind of engaging and, and and made good our promise to, to give Australia a voice as well. So I think that was the that was the um, the first big change for us that that, that that paid some dividends was getting rid of that wrong mixer out of the first segment. Well, most people agree that the best part of episode one was was at the end when you really got into some serious discussion about um, spying on your kids, which led to bullying and suicide. The Burka topic then opened episode two, which seemed to continue that form of um, discussion. Feedback was that the whole Bogan thing was not sort of that controversial and maybe a bit amateurish. In retrospect, do you feel that this was uh, the best topic to open episode one with and will there be more focus on the more serious controversial worms as the episodes progress? Uh, There's no desire to be a controversial show. You know, obviously the subject matter that we're dealing with is all stuff that's got people's mickeys in the twist and offended some people. But what we're trying to do is to, to actually have a good conversation about stuff where controversy reigns normally because it's dealt with by, you know, either angry shock jocks or headline writers or people from interest groups who, who really allow opinions and conversations to be aired in, in, a, in a rational manner. That's something that we aim to do. But the, the whole thing about the Bogan uh, conversation, um, I, guess, look, I guess we did, yeah, we did probably the cop out, if I'm honest on that. I think it was a decent conversation, but probably didn't be- deliver on our promise. And I think all of us were a little afraid of going too hard too early 
because none of us really had any magic. Um, we didn't have any crystal ball to work out what the appetite of the public, the viewing public was, for in-depth conversations of, of on edgy subjects. So I guess it was a little bit bubblegumish at times. So I find it an interesting conversation, but yeah, it probably wasn't in my heart uh, front and center where we needed to be. So, but but I can understand why we did that. It was a little bit faint-hearted, but you know I think we can forgive ourselves that you know dipping our toe in the water on episode one. Look, there was no hiding that the show is pre, um, pre-recorded the previous day. You, you have mentioned that, um, and therefore it can be edited quite significantly. Feedback was that the edits were quite obvious in episode one, not so much in episode two. Um, did you feel the editing was, was less obvious in the second episode? Yeah, but that, that's, yeah, absolutely. And I hope it's going to be less and less obvious as we get better at it. Um, but I keep saying, I, I defy anyone to come out with a brand new show that yeah. is very different to anything else, else on television and just to be the, the fully formed product in episode one. I think, you know, the chances of that are rare because yeah. it's, none of us really understand what this thing can do, what it needs to do. And Andrew Denton, he, you know, he's very experienced and he said to me on more than a few occasions, you've got to expect us still to be working on this and getting it right by episode five. He said, that's what he said. Everyone thinks that Green Transfer came out fully formed and beautiful. He said he didn't. He, you know, he took them the best part of the, the first series to get that right and get it where it needs to be. So I think we, you know, we, there's no point of us, there's no point of us being hard on ourselves. You know, we, we are our own work, heaviest critics. And we love the show. We think we're, you know, we're in the right space. But I, I think all of us know that we've got to keep improving this show. And, and 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 making it, you know, as, as good as it can be and to make sure that we're not changing for the sake of it, to make sure that we're not um, responding to, you know, with a knee-jerk reaction to stuff that people say. You know, we, we've got to back ourselves and, and, and you know, just stick with the things that we, we've got that we think are going to work and, and just get rid of the things that we're nervous about that we have no proof of concept on, like we did with the wrongometer. So, but look, in terms of editing, yeah, it, it was a whole lot better on, um, on, on the second episode, and we're fully expecting it to be a lot smoother this time around. Because, look, remember, we, we are, we, we, we're looking at two episodes now, and we're saying, well, look, that was, a tough, that, was a, that was a tough segment to edit for these reasons, so now we're going to try and fix those elements in the record to make it easier to edit. Yeah. Um, one of the other differences uh, was with obviously the choice of guests. Episode one went with um, comedians or big personality people. You had Jason Ackermanis, George McEnroe, and Craig Rucastle, and therefore there seemed to be a, a bit of a competition for a punchline or a big statement. Week two had to- Tom Ballard, Jessica Rowan, Don Burke, a much more diverse group of individuals with very different backgrounds and values. There seemed to be uh, there seemed to be uh, more to it. Then there were just three different guests in week two. There seemed to be a more targeted sense of people that would fit in with the more serious topics, I suppose, in week two. I mean, is that a fair call? You're more conscious with whom you have on the show, taking that more serious tone? I think we're, we, we've, we've all agreed that it is important to have at least one comedic voice on the panel. Yep. And, um, and that's because it's not a desire to become a zinger fest where we just... Uh, you know, throw gags around about every important issue. 
Um, humor is really important to us. I think humor is really important in discussing um, serious topics because if you want to get someone's attention, you don't get the nation's attention with a very dry, conservative conversation. You get the, you get the audience's attention on big topics by making it entertaining and compelling and robust, and, and humor can be a big part of that. So we've always felt that the good thing about having a comedic voice on the panel means that those guys, by, the, by definition, are happy to take conversations into a brave space. And I yeah. think that, and, and, and they will encourage the other two guests to go there. So I think that the, the, com the comedian or the comedic voice on the panel will always, will always act as a catalyst. But we never wanted to, to have it as a, a you know, to, to stomp on Good News Week. And they did, you know, they did comedy about current affairs and news very well. And that's not what we designed kind of worms for. We want to have a proper discussion and get people to open up in some, you know, in some ways that you never see well-known Australians opening up in the media. And, um, and that's about having a proper long-form discussion. But as I say, the, the comedians will help us get there. But we've always felt like we, neither do we want to populate the panel with table thumpers and people who are known for their opinions. They'd, they'd be good to sprinkle in every now and then. But we're also finding the likes of Jessica Rowe, who's more of a soft, suburban, middle Australian energy, you know, can give us some blinding insights into the way the public thinks on certain matters, as she did Absolutely. on Berka, mm. as she did on swearing, you know. I mean, a lot of people <laughs> would see her as a prude, but she was a brilliantly articulate prude who stood her ground. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's too easy sometimes just to, to, to go for the knockabouts, cheap laughs and swearing. And I thought it was brilliant that she stood up for herself and, 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 and carried the torch for middle Australians who don't like swearing, who, who really rue the passing of good manners and etiquette. So I was really proud of her role on the show. Mm. Um, look, we discussed episode two being stronger than episode one. I was just wondering, in your opinion, what, what really worked well in, in episode two that you're proud of? I mean, for, the first thing that comes to me is just what you talked about there was... was Finding sort of almost a different side of, of, of personalities, which I didn't think was going to be the aim of the show, but something that just happened. I mean, Don Burke, what, how interesting was that? How interesting is that guy compared to, to Burke's backyard? <laughs> Look, the, the, what, we, what, we felt, what we felt that the show could offer was a different side to well-known Australians. You, the, we always said, look, these, these will be people that you know, but not necessarily for their opinions. And, not, and definitely, definitely not for the subjects that we're going to be talking about. So it's, it's, at times it's almost like a chat show with a difference. It's like a chat show with a purpose, chat show with an element of jeopardy as well, because these are pretty tricky confronting questions and subject matters, and, and, they, and we do turn up the heat as we get through the conversation. So these guys are pretty brave coming on and, um, and, and laying themselves bare to us on our questioning. But... But that was always the desire, was to, to get a range of different opinions through well-known Australians so that the viewer at home could, could feel a sense of relatability, like that, that they were saying, well, that's the way I think, or I'd never thought about that in that way, but she, yeah, she represents the way I see life, or, or, oh, I'm so glad I don't live with him, or, you know. But it's, it, I think I was really proud of the fact that it was kind of a, an unusual group of people to put on a prime-time TV show, but it worked so beautifully well, not because of the marquee nature of the names, 
but because of the, the, the courage of those three people and the preparedness of them to, to be in the moment, to be honest. But also the chemistry worked so well. And I would love to think that we could buck the trend of a lot of shows like this and, in, and, and introduce some different people, some different names onto our screen that maybe we had never thought of, never considered or forgotten about. Because mm. I think that is fascinating. And if we, if we, if we make the, the format more robust, it will allow us to experiment with some different people, not the yeah. same old names. Uh, the, the the Morgan polls and audience surveys remained a favourite from episode one to episode two. I'm guessing there'll be no changes there. Very interesting results sometimes come out of those. I th- I thought I fit into one sort of area, but um, you know, I was in mi- minority with some things. As uh, those Morgan polls, um, obviously will be staying, won't they? Oh yeah, they're they're a central pillar of our show. You know, we've always um, you know, I think a lot of a lot of shows can boast conversation, whether they're on radio or television. But what we can boast is a definitive result or definitive, um, um, yeah, definitive poll result for our questions. And we also get the opportunity for some drill down questions as well, and some you know qualitative remarks. So I think it's um, it's a brilliant little snapshot for the moral tone of the country during this year or this month or this week and. And if we if we pick the subjects right, then who knows this this might be something that the politicians start looking at and the advertisers. You know, well, we might we may become a resource for them. But I'm really proud of of those polls, and we have a fantastic graphic artist um, who's been working on Hungry Beast, Patrick Clare, who does our our graphics for those little packages, and I think they look so fresh and mm-hmm. and unlike anything else you see on television. Look, assuming well, you said you. Uh the show will keep evolving. I mean, what are, after episode two, I mean, episode one's easy to pick out, but after episode two, what other things are you looking at in improving or, or perhaps tweaking or ironing out? Well, I'm looking to improve my own performance. I just think it's a question of, of just being in the moments more and, and taking the frown off my face and stop trying to be serious <laughs> dicko, basically, because, I, look, I think after having been a, a, a reality TV judge... I've probably got this deep-rooted desire to be taken seriously. And um, I think I tend to wear that on my face a little too much. And mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and I don't think I'm the greatest person when it comes to doing auto-Q. And um, a lot of that, most of the most of this stuff that I'm reading, it's all my word. They're all my words, but I've probably got to improve in that area. And maybe maybe I just need to get off auto cue and be a little more in the moment and a little more ad libbed because some of the the better parts that I enjoyed more or that I wasn't squirming behind the sofa, shall we say, mm-hmm. was when I was just in the moment talking, you know. And I'm like a lot of people; I don't like looking at myself on television. But I, you know, I've really had to steal myself to to look at me doing pieces to camera off auto cue. So I've got to improve that definitely. Mm-hmm. I think we. Um, we really like our game, the moral minefield. I think. Oh yeah. I think it's it's an opportunity for us to un- undo our belt buckle and to roll our stockings down and just to have a little bit of fun while getting some really good insights. And uh, but I think you know, we're just going to try and bed that in a little bit. Um, probably use our audience a little more. And um, and and look, I think we we really feel like we we had a win with episode two. And what we want to do more than anything. It's just, just build on that and just 
you know, just to, to stabilise the, the show, really, I don't think it's the sort of thing we want to be changing every single week because I think the public require a certain amount of familiarity, mm. something that they can depend on every week. So if we're chopping and changing every, every between every single episode, it's not going to be good for the public. So yeah. I think we, we reached a really fairly good space um, and we don't want to change things too much this week. We just want to build on on some momentum that we had from last week and just make sure that it's make sure that we have good conversations. That's the main thing. I mean look, it's odd because most most shows will talk about a journey or production values and bells and whistles. Ultimately our show really lives or dies on three people having a really good conversation. Yeah. Which is it's you know, that's that's kind of a basic primal thing that all humans have really. So it's a simple concept that, and as Andrew Denson often says, they're the hardest ones to get right. Look, I just wanted to, I suppose, challenge you with one thing. Um, it's a personal opinion, as I have not really read this um, opinion online. It's sort of in reference to the topic of the burqa that was discussed in episode two. I mean, this is a hot topic in the news, sometimes controversial and definitely worth coverage in Can of Worms. But I'm wondering if you missed the whole point. My thought w would be that most people in Australia have no issues with the burqa per se and the religious beliefs behind it. The controversy is actually surrounded, and the, the debate, I suppose, surrounded by the security issue. We are asked to take off helmets in petrol stations or retail places, even hoodies look like they might get banned in shopping centres, and this is all to do with security. Some people are saying, hey, this is a security issue. If I have to remove my helmet, you remove your burqa. Police have raised um, security concerns about not being able to properly identify someone when being checked with a burqa. Then there is customs, of course, the court system, etc., etc. This was not really covered um, at all. So whilst you got three yes comments from the burqa having, having a place in society, you may have got a different sort of opinion if asked, should a person have to remove a burqa for the police in places where helmets are banned or for security reasons? That discussion may have, um, uh, I suppose that discussion may have gotten more, uh, I suppose, more debate um, in, in the episode. Um, so, I mean, what, what do you think about it? I mean, did you miss the whole point about the burqa? No, I don't think we did, actually. We, 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 bizarrely, that was, for many weeks, actually, that was the topic we were going to discuss. If you have to take a motorcycle helmet off to enter a bank, should you have to do the same for a burqa? And it's something that we, we did touch on. But um, there's, you know, there have been, it was covered an awful lot, I guess, in the, the newspapers following the Connington Matthews um, court case about the rights and wrongs, the police, you know, the, the police's, um, the police uh, requirements to remove it for identification purposes. That was all backed by a lot of Muslim organizations as well. So yeah. I, just, I guess we felt that we didn't want that to be a rabbit hole. I think most people in their right minds would say, look, you know, it's, yeah, if you've got to take one head covering off, you know, why not all of them? What we wanted to get into more than anything was, you know, some pretty primal attitudes to, see, to someone walking around a free democratic country like, with their, with their whole body and face covered up. You know, it's, and how does that fit in? You know, even though we, you know, we are a country that encourages multiculturalism, we're also a country that, that encourages gender equality, 
I mean, that encourages openness and and you know fun, I guess. And you know, I guess a lot of a lot of people, you know, look at these strange garments as being something fairly medieval. So I guess that's the conversation we wanted, rather than getting bogged down in some legalities of of what sort of shops it was okay to go in in a book and what it wasn't. Enough, I think yeah. if you get too specific in those terms, it just what we miss is someone's gut, gut reaction to something, and that's where I guess the gold is. We don't want people to, we don't want to require people to be experts in certain fields to answer these questions, and I think you'd have to know the ins and outs of of, of laws and 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 I guess um, protocoling banks to answer a lot of those questions, whereas. What we wanted was a real gutsy, primal um, answer to, to this question about whether this is out of place in our modern society. I want to ask you a question about um, being honest. Um, I mean, it should be applauded, obviously, I mean, with this t- kind of a show about being honest and, and having your opinions. However, I'm just wondering where the line is for you. Uh, where do you go from being honest, sort of sharing an opinion and to just being a loudmouth shock jock and self-opinionated dick, I suppose, as some people would, would, would put it. I mean, w- where's there a line from being, hey, we, we should be able to talk about this, to, to being someone that's just being sort of self-opinionated and, and loud? Well, there is no line, um, I think, because I think all opinions are valued on our show. We may not agree with all of them, but we, we absolutely would fight to have those opinions on. The, I guess we're... The line that we would draw is that is that whatever opinion is presented on the show will be challenged and negotiated by myself. Yeah. So no one's ever. If someone does have a say, say someone has a racist point of view or a view that deems racist, they will be challenged every step of the way. And if someone's got a view that's maybe a little bit saccharine and and too politically correct, they'll be challenged also. So there's, there's no line about where we would or wouldn't go. Obviously, we, we, we govern by broadcasting uh, codes of common decency. But yep. we, we want to go places where other shows won't go. And, and we feel safe doing that because the way that we construct these conversations means that, if you, you know, we are say, what do you think? Why do you think that? And is it negotiable? So at every step of the conversation, even if though someone's holding a point of view that a large chunk of us will find abhorrent, you know, you have to trust the, the format that we will be challenging those views and putting the counter-argument, as the host I shall be, but also, more than likely, the other two guests will be weighing in with their arguments as well. Mm. And at the end of the day, I still maintain that if someone holds a, a point of view that's strong, that differs from your own, the world really doesn't stop turning. Mm. Look, you suggested I know sitting on the. You don't uh, sound convinced by that. Well, no, no, it's. it's I think I was. It was more in reference to having Jason Ackermanis on the show in episode one. Uh, but I mean, because he's known for his his loudmouth sort of. You know, sometimes I think most people find his his opinions and stuff. He's a, he's a bit of a dick, and I just noticed you put him on well, episode. That's, you know what? That's actually that's your point of view. I have yeah. had so many people stop me in the street saying how fantastic it was to see someone like Acker on television re- representing their points of view. Yeah. You know, the, the people in the media, often, they, they assume, they presume to speak for a chunk of the population. But that's rarely the case. When you get out there and talk to people, 
that's not the case. And and he, and it's really, you know, Don Burr, this week, has ended up with about five or six bloody Facebook groups in favour of him. Don <laughs> Burr for Don Burke for effing Prime Minister. You know, now I know it's a bit of fun, but getting back to Acker, you would not believe the amount of people who came up to come up to me un, unsolicited and said, Acker was fantastic on the show. It was just real perfect fresh air to hear someone speaking like that. So even though you may not like it, I don't think you can presume to talk for the country. No, it was just the premise of more having him on the show to start with. When he actually was on the show, and I, and I actually saw him in action, especially towards the end of the episode when he started talking about bullying and stuff like that, he really did started starting to see a different side of him opening up and, and discussing it more. I suppose in other avenues we've seen him more just... It's just a one-off line that he's just thrown out there and that's been put out to the media. But I suppose when... We, the show, I suppose, helped by showing a, a different side of him where he can actually talk about his issues more rather than just throw out one-liners that you sometimes see yeah. in, the, in the thing. I just, it was just your opinion on that. I, I guess um, you su- suggested a no-sitting-on-the-fence, no-apology, no-holding-back approach to the show. Episode 1 aired and 10 was already issuing an apology to a family that had their photo of their son that had committed suicide. Um, are you already going to be more careful moving forward or...? Oh, look, that was really, that was unfortunate because um, the producers had, you know, our, our producer had had a conversation with um, with the guy's father um, before the show and, and talked about that he was going to be on and he was in support of that. But then when when he was on the show and Acker made those comments, he felt wounded. And I think, I guess it brought up an awful lot of stuff that, you know, they've been trying to deal with. And, and it was pretty raw still. So yeah. that's not the intent of the show. We don't want to, you know, we don't want to hurt people. We don't want to make people's life a misery. You know, it's, you know, we're all human beings. But, um, but in fairness to a lot of the guys in the research team, you know, the conversation was had before and, um, and, and assurances were given that it was fine to talk about it. I guess, you know, the reality just brought stuff up that was a little hard to bear, and that's why you know we did. We were absolutely happy to offer an apology because that was not our desire was to make life a misery for that poor family. So moving forward with the show, um, what sort of topics are you are thinking of for the future? I mean, I suppose you don't want to give too much away, but um, any anything that you're you're thinking about at the moment? Yeah, look, we'll, we will talk about race, which is obviously a complete minefield, stereotypes, a lot of mm. sexual politics. Um, there's a lot of stuff of life that we're going to explore because we're finding that's really useful. Parenting, kids, relationships, this is stuff that most people can relate to, stuff they're going to be talking about in the workplace or on the bus, going to work. And also, we, we will be doing topical stuff because... Kind of love the agents of outrage in the Australian media. They are the gift that keeps on giving. Someone somewhere in Australia is getting pissed off every single moment of the day, and people are prepared to write about it. And with new media, bad news travels at the speed of light. Now that's all grist to our mill, and we will be covering it and exploring it. So, so all these things, as and when they present themselves, we're going to try and retain an air of topicality in every single show. So. You know, with the stuff of life, the families, relationships, kids, parenting, along with a lot more taboo subjects and, and uh, topical subjects, I, th- I don't think we'll be struggling week in, week out. Can, can you reveal the guest for, for episode three? 
Yes, I can. We've got John Elliott, who, uh, of course, used to run Foster's Brewery, and was a big wig in the Liberal Party, and he's um, you know, a bit of a, a live wire. Yep. And, um, and also um, Fiona O'Loughlin, who's yep. a comedian from Alice Springs, mother of five, and has obviously had a well-publicized battle with the booze, along with myself. And um, a young presenter called Maud Garrett, who's, um, who's, um, who's gorgeous and, uh, mm. and is a you know, fabulous, opinionated hot woman. Mm. There you go. That sounds good. Monday night, 8.30 or 8.45, whenever it screens. Um, I wanted to spend this podcast obviously talking about can of worms. I've noticed in most of the interviews that you've done, people like to also go in and talk about Australian Idol and defecting to Channel 7 and back to Channel 10. I I, I think it's a bit of a been there and done that. So the only other thing I wanted to discuss away from can of worms... um, is um, your relationship with Andrew Denton. His company, Zapruder, yeah. other, other films, makes the show. How much involvement does he have with the actual show? Uh, total involvement. Um, seven days a week, really. You know, we're, um, he's the executive producer of the show, along with his partner, um, Anita Jacoby. And um, yeah, we talk about stuff every single day, um, swap texts and emails and phone calls after hours, and... And yeah, he's um he's he's handy's all over this. He's he's very 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 hands on, and he's a, he's a very impressive character as well because he's got an amazing um, attention to detail. You'll send him something, and you'll get it back marked up within half an hour, asking for a redraft within the next fifteen mm-hmm. minutes. So he's a he's a very tough marker, but that's great because you know I don't think we could be I don't. Can't imagine working with anyone else or another company on this on this show. You know, him and his, his team have really helped take this to the brink of what it needs to be. And what, and what feedback has he given you um, after? Well, not so much just episode one, but but just two episodes of Ed. And what sort of feedback has he given you? Um, well, look, he's been he's been really supportive of me. You know, I'm really grateful. But he's he's trying to get me. I guess just to loosen up a bit, you know. He's um, it's not like he's giving me feedback on the show because he doesn't need to. He's part of the show. But in terms of my own personal performance, he's um, you know, he's he's constantly trying to get me to back myself. And uh, I think he understands that maybe at times I feel a bit self-conscious about the role I'm playing. And he says, look, you need to loosen up and be the person that we know, and give the public an opportunity to see what we see. And um, and then, yeah, he's just been very supportive, trying to get me to where I need to be as a presenter. I mean, with the whole loosening up uh, thing, though. I mean, for feedback, I mean that was noticeable in in, in episode two, starting to loosen up, especially when you were sort of challenging um, Don Burke with some of the things that he had to say. Obviously, that's not auto cue driven. You're sort of jumping in there and stuff, so that seemed a bit looser. Mm-hmm. Oh no, look, it was, but it's just what he's saying, what Andrew's saying is. Lose the frown, loosen up a bit, come off auto cue more, and um, and just trust yourself. So look, he's just, he's, he, I guess, you know, twice a week, you know, I get down on Dr. Denton's couch and he gives me a pep talk for the uh, for the coming show, and hopefully, bit by bit, I'm going to be relying less and less on on those pep talks because I'll start believing in me as much as he believes in me. Look, you do have a um, a perfect guest for that show. That's uh, within, w- w- that's right next to you, Andrew Denton. Is there any chance? Um, 
two chances. <laughs> Neither of them in the affirmative. He's um, look. I'd love to get him on the show, but he's uh, the problem is he's too close to it. He's, he, it's you know, it's his show. You know, it's our show, but it's it's his show as well. He's, yeah. I don't, and he's he's so clued up and so involved in it, it wouldn't make any sense. But um, but yeah, you're right. It would be awesome to to sit him down and to grill him. But I get the chance to do that in production meetings like five days a week. Mm. I guess we should put sticky camera in a production meeting. That'd be great. Um, well, just to wrap up, um, do you feel an, an important sense of duty with this show? I mean, I, I ask this because most would agree that political correctness has gone mad, absolutely mad, almost to the point that anything you say about any subject is taboo. This show is an avenue for people to have views they want talked about and discussed without the fear of being sort of slapped down for it. So I don't think this is a show that people just want, but a show that society, Australia and the audience need. I mean, is that a fair call? I'd love to think that, but I'd blush to say that because it's a little bit high-minded. Um, look, who wouldn't want to create a TV show and to make a TV show that, that, that has an effect on the way the country sees itself? I mean, that, that would be any program maker's dream. But, um, but, but ultimately, what we have to do is to put out a string of good shows that people can learn to rely upon for great in-depth sparky conversation that can provoke, inspire, explore, and entertain. And if we can do that over the next few weeks, chances are we might be asked back to do it again next year. And I think if you ask me that question in a few years' time, and we have been and we have managed to do what you suggest is possible, I'd be happy to grow, grow from the highest rooftop. But I can't do that now because I just think I'd be heading for a fall if I made that claim. Mm. Well, Dicko, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks uh, for the idea of Can of Worms on the show and um, and also listening for the to the feedback from episode one and making the next shows um, the next show even better. And I'm sure episode three will be fantastic. So thank you very much. Oh, you're more than welcome. Thank you. Ian Dicko Dixon, host of Can of Worms on Channel 10, airing Mondays at around 8.30pm. That is all from this podcast. Until our next one, take care. I'm Aaron Ryan for tvcentral.com.au. See you then.